that the Lord will, I was listening to that song and just pray that God will reveal his glory, you know, through the scripture. And, you know, since Roz and I have been here at Grace, we've grown a great deal, you know, uh, in the scripture. Just, you know, reading the scripture daily, searching the word and, and understanding, growing in our understanding, I should say. And uh, just what the Bible say. And I pray tonight that God will continue to grow us and that we can say this is what the Bible say and stand on it and believe it, you know. And as Stephen explained in this, uh, you know, and he got with uh, myself and we were talking about this and he told me what uh, they had, you know, tasked me to do. So I started researching and just really looking into it, you know, and, uh, and it's been good, though. And so we're going to tonight it's going to be about Sola Scriptura. You know, and uh, and I asked myself a question, you know, why is that important? You know, and because uh, you go in some circles, you're going to hear, you know, the word, but you're going to hear some other things as well. But I've come to believe in all my heart is it's God word and God word alone. And uh, so sola scriptura, Latin term meaning by scripture alone. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, but in order to do it justice. We have to do a little bit of history lesson and go back to that Reformation period as Stephen alluded to and to realize, you know, what transpired in those days. So uh, but just the definition, uh, again, of, you know, says sola scriptura by by scripture alone. And this definition I read from a, a book I was reading as I was researching this here. And the gentleman name is Matt Barrett. Sola scriptura is God's inspired word. It is our inherent inerrant sufficient and final authority for the church. And I said, God, I pray that we can not only we read that, but we can believe that and hold fast to it. So when somebody else come and bringing you some other doctrine, you know, that didn't come from the scripture, you don't even have to give no thought to it. It's not God's word. You know, we were talking, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago. And we talked about somehow we were talking about counterfeit money, you know, why study counterfeit money if you study the real thing and you see a counterfeit, you know what time it is. It's the same with the gospel. And I believe the scripture would prove itself that it is God word and God word alone. And so as we, you know, go into this tonight, just uh, I want to pray and ask God to be with us tonight as we, you know, attempt to uh, give an explanation of why sola scriptura or God's scripture alone is so important. Father, I thank you tonight. I just pray that... Um, you be with all of us, that you would give us all ears to hear what you're saying to us. God, that you show us daily through the scripture. Lord, that's, this is our lifeline. God, outside of your word, there is no life. So, Father, let us not seek you in another place, but in your word, in your word alone. God, once upon a time, the church hit a dark spot, Lord, and men sought you in other places outside of your word, and it brought calamity upon the church. But, Father, I just pray tonight that, uh, that every individual in here tonight will understand it's your word or nothing. And so, therefore, we just we pray and we believe you, God, and we love you, God, and just desire to honor you in everything that I do. And we love you again tonight in Jesus' name. You know, before, we, again, we uh, get into any scripture... I want to just do a little background because and I realized this after studying about this here, you know, in order to understand why this month, you know, 500 years ago is an anniversary and why what that means. What does it mean for us today, though? You know, and why was it important even in that day? 
you if you live back there, you would realize that obviously we don't live back there. So we got to do the next best best thing. And so we go and we read about that period. But I want to just uh, I did some research and this is an article about Dr. Jack Arnold. And it's from the, he going to discuss a little bit the period from like 590 to 1517. And he talked about I'm going to read this here. The Roman church dominated the Western world. The Roman Catholic Church controlled religion, philosophy, morals, politics, art, education. This was a dark age for true Christianity. No, for true Christianity it was a dark age. The vital doctrine of biblical Christianity had almost disappeared. And with the neglect of true doctrine came the passing of life and light that con- constitutes the worship of the one true God as declared in Christ. Came the passing of the, of the life and light that constitute the worship of the one true God as declared in Christ. The Roman Catholic Church was theologically sick, and its theology led to atrocious corruption. It was spiritually exhausted, enfeebled, and almost lifeless. Rome has seriously departed from the teaching of the Bible and was engrossed in real heresy. There can be no appreciation for the Reformation until one sees the great spiritual need of the Western world in the 16th century. No Christian, Roman Catholic, Protestant, or Independent can gloss over the period of history from 590 to 1517. This period is a black spot to all whom to all who name the name of Christ. But it is but it is Christianity's history, which is true. I can only imagine in my mind what it must have been like, you know, for the people of that day when the church dominated, you know, everything and, you know, and instead of saying the scripture alone, the church obviously had its own traditions. And I think about that sometime. We have to, some of us come from very traditional backgrounds, but their tradition in many cases trumped the scripture, if you will. And what happens when men get in the way? It was a dark time for the body of Christ. Men couldn't see, you know, men, they couldn't understand the scripture because with the Catholic church, the scripture was in, uh, was taught by the priests. And so forth. And in Latin. So therefore, they were at a loss with the word. You know, let me, let me just show you a few things that that was going on and some of the things that was happening. And at some point in time, which was in 1517, you know, when the, the Protestant Reformation started, you know, thank God for men that got called like Erasmus, Thomas More, you know, Martin Luther and, and others, John Calvin, you know, that uh, stood up against that. I call that giant, if you will, you know. And so but uh, one infallibility of the pope. That was something that was going on at, during that time frame. Salvation in the Roman church only. Salvation by works. And we wonder why we need scripture alone. System of indulgence. There was a time when, you know, you could uh, think about this for just a minute. If you could buy or pay for your sins or pay for forgiveness, there's an implication there. The implication is that you got to have money in order for your sins to be forgiven. Meaning that if I'm rich, I got money, I'm all right. But if what happened if you were poor? You were just out of dodge, so to speak. So you had a lot of those activities going on until guys like Martin Luther stood up, you know, and he posted his 95 thesis. And I, I make this note right here, uh, a, a, a title for that, Out of Love and Zeal for Clarifying the Truth Against These Basically 95 clerical abuses and we could go on and on about what was transpired in that day but what this leads us to is the importance of knowing the scripture 
We have to know what the Word of God say. We have to realize, and we realize that, that the church was wrong in that day. You know, when you elevate anything uh, in line with the Bible, uh, elevated above the Bible, then that's a gross error. And you will be walking in darkness. That's why it was such a dark period in that time. You know, and I think about, I've been in fire service for years now. And we go into like a structure fire in this house. It's pitch black and you can't see nothing until we get a little light to start shining in. And that's what transpired, if you will, when guys like Martin Luther, when they came on the scene and when they stood up for the gospel and began to teach, you know, uh, salvation by faith and by faith alone. Obviously, you know, the church didn't like that, but but praise the Lord that that did happen. But let me show you something in the scripture. Let's look at uh, a verse I want to read here real quick. Uh, Matthew 15, Matthew 15, one through six. And I'm going to get into everything I want to in terms of, uh, you know, what all this means. But I want to read that scripture right there. Matthew 15, one through six. Thank you, Lord. Matthew 15. Then some of the Pharisees. And scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Every time I read that, you know, here come the Pharisees. We were talking earlier how much the Pharisees, how they hated Jesus. And here they are coming to Jesus saying, and, and ask the question. It's OK to ask a question. They didn't ask nothing about what, them breaking the commandment or the law. They want to know about tradition. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do your why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whosoever says to his father, or mother, whatever, I, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you have you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus said, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrine and the precepts of men. See, and that's what was happening, you know, back in that dark period, in those dark ages in, until God brought Martin Luther and others on the scene. This ring, you know, the Protestants broke away from Catholicism and, and you can start seeing because it's like us in here. Once you get the word, and you start reading it, you start understanding what God said. But if somebody else got to be the one that's telling you what God said, but what if they're wrong? What if they're not preaching the truth? And that's what was going on. But Jesus said to the Pharisees that your tradition, it, you know, your tradition is what you go by. And you take the word of God and basically you make it of none effect is what you're doing. Because you took your tradition and you made it equal with the law, if you will, or equal to the word of God. You know, and that's happening to some degree today. But. Tradition do not trump God's word. And just like Pastor Mike was teaching this morning, uh, we got to see the scripture for what it say and, and, and believe it for what it say. It is God's word is scripture alone. Nothing else can save a human being. It is the word of God. And so because of what was going on in that day, many people, no doubt, was lost in their sins. Jesus said in, in that same. Uh, let's stay in Matthew. Uh, let's flip over to the 23rd chapter for just a moment.
Let's look at 23, 13. This is what Jesus said. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from the people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And the 15th verse says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You could truly say that's what Catholicism was doing, you know, traveling all over, missionaries and so forth and so on, but they wasn't teaching the gospel. They were teaching their tradition, you know, and many people fell into that trap even to this day and still believe I could just, you know, buy or pay for my sins or confess to a man. But you're still a sinner because you're not elevating the word of God, not being elevated to his proper place. But I pray that God will give me the wisdom to show through the scripture why it is God's word and God's word alone. Again, as I read the definition earlier about the sola scriptura, God's inspired word is our inerrant, sufficient and final authority for the church. Notice that word final authority for the church. What does this mean? This means that scripture alone is our final authority. Authority. Scripture alone is our sufficient authority. Sola Scriptura means that only Scripture, because it's God's inspired word, it is our inerrant authority. And we're going to talk about the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and, and a couple other things. But we got to, when we can think from that mindset, and we, if we truly believe this now, then we're on the right road to understanding what God said. But anytime you say that, well, you know, I read this book or maybe I had a dream. Maybe I saw a vision and this is what it said. <laughs> don't mean don't mean nothing what it said. I remember uh, probably a couple of years ago I was teaching a Bible study over at uh, Amazing Love Homeless Ministry. And a guy stood up and says, you know, let me tell you why I know I'm saved. See, I had this experience. I got in this accident and because I got in this bad accident, I didn't get hurt. I came out. I know I'm saved. I'm like, I said, dude, that ain't what the scripture say. The scripture don't say that. And that's what I'm talking about, about experiences and things of that nature. He's not elevating the scripture. He's elevating an experience. But we all can have an experience and they all subjective, you know, and it, but that's not what the gospel say. And so that's what we're going to focus on tonight. You know, and again, I'm so grateful for. Uh, guys that come along before we did back all those years ago who stood up for the truth. Many risked their lives. Many martyrs. We were talking about this earlier. Many died for their faith. They died, you know, putting the Bible in print. They were burned to the stake and all those things by the church. Why? Because they believe in scripture alone. They believe that the scripture was from God and they didn't believe in tradition that the at that time that the church elevated. They lost their lives, but they were lights for the kingdom of God. And I pray that God would help us be lights for his kingdom today and that we will not Accept anything except God's word. That's what matters. We'll see through the scripture momentarily that it is God's word is inspired and nothing else is inspired except the word of God. Divinely inspired is God's word and God's word alone. Like I read that the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't, they didn't adhere to the scripture. They claim they knew the scripture, but yet Jesus said the scripture testified me. <laughs> so obviously they didn't know the scripture. They knew their traditions, but they didn't know the scripture. You know, a sad day like it was in that day. But again, you know, men of God have to stand up today and preach the truth. We have all kind of heresies out there. 
you know, every time I sit here and we start talking about certain things, I, I kind of think about our background a little bit. And uh, it was a little while. I wish I had this uh, video. I love to play it. Uh, one of the guys that used to be in that ministry that we were in, Prosperity Ministry, some years ago. I remember him. I watched this so clear, and I showed it to a friend of mine. He walked into the church. Church was full. He walked in. He says, I'm going to rock your religion tonight. I'm going to show you this new revelation that God gave me. See? But let me tell you this now. You ain't going to find it in your Bible. I said, Lord, everybody in that church should get up and walk out right now. And yet the church is there with all shouting and cheering for that. But that's not God's word alone. He had some other source that he brought. You know, and Jeremy would remember when we used to do that, uh, your money cometh and all those things like that. You know, we used to talk about. And he had this new, what he called a new revelation that God was making money missionaries and all this stuff. But the point is, what I'm trying to make is this. He stepped away from scripture and the people bought into it. Pastor Mike and Pastor Mark, that's what hurt so bad because he was telling them up front. This not even scripture. God help us to understand the word of God and stand on God's word and God's word alone. Our faith will be challenged by all kind of things. Let's talk about for just a moment, if you will. Why is it just God's word alone then? Why can't it be tradition? Why can't we just, you know, some cults believe that? You know, got some relatives, friends, a Jehovah Witness. They got their Bible, but they got their, what is it, the Watchtower also. And, you know, and they elevated. Obviously, that's a cult, you know, and I'm sure there are others out there as well. But the Bible declares scripture alone. So, but then why? I believe the Bible will explain why. We think about the scripture, the inspiration of scripture. What does that mean? What does that mean to us? If we think about inspiration for just a moment, not divine inspiration. I made a little note. Yeah, of course, I love basketball. I was thinking about, I said, man, if like somebody had a big game, they were playing and had a big monster game. And because of that, you know, he inspired his teammates to come along and help him win a game. That's some sort of. You could call it inspiration, but it's not divine inspiration. But it was some moment of maybe emotional high or whatever. It inspired the guys to step up and they won the game. But we're going to talk about divine inspiration. Let's turn with me. If, turn with me, if you will. The first scripture I'm going to read in just a moment will be it just Stephen read it, but I want to read it again. Second Timothy three sixteen. But we talk about divine inspiration. What is it? What did that mean when we say that the word of God is inspired, you know, uh, divine inspiration. All scripture is inspired by God. In other words, God's word was breathed out by God. You know, so that's divine inspiration. You know, that's why it's God's word and God's word alone, because see, God's word is the only inspired source, if you will, that we can go to. We were talking earlier, we used the word source in our class that we just finished, you know, how the Pharisee, they attacked the source, the Holy Spirit, which led them to potentially, you know, the unpardonable sin. But what I'm saying is that God breathed out his word. See, it's divinely inspired. And if it's inspired and it's from God, then it's got to be, you know, it's got to be without error. It's the only thing that we can trust in. What did Timothy say in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16? I got a couple more verses I want to read, but I want to go through these here. And I pray that we hear Timothy says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture, you know, I love, you know, I didn't think about this when I was young, you know, but 
when he say all scripture, you got to think about in that day, he was mainly talking about the Old Testament, you know, and uh, I'm discovering more and more that I live the beauty of the Old Testament, the how uh, Jesus and how the Apostle Paul and, and Peter, the brother, how they pulled from the Old Testament to make their points very clear. That's why Jesus could talk to the disciples on the road of Emmaus and take them back throughout the scripture and walk back through the scripture and say they talking about him. He could do that. And yet the Pharisees said that they were they knew God. But yet the scripture talked about Jesus and they didn't see that. The Bible said all scripture is God breathed and it come from God. That's the only source that you can stake your life on. If you stake your life on something else, you will be out of the will of God. You cannot know God if you say there's something else. I have another source. It's only one. He said that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's what the scripture, that's the inspired word of God. That's what, this is what God gave. So when I look at, you know, Pastor Mike, what helped me out when I, as I begin to understand that now when I go to the book of uh, Leviticus or Exodus, those books, and we all admit it that we struggle with. But you know what? I'm always in my mind. I'm, I'm, I said, God, give me understanding. Give me clarity. God, help me to see what you say. You didn't put this here just to be here. Why? It's the inspired word of God. You know, and I said, Lord, and that helped my attitude. They helped me just to look forward to. I love the Old Testament. I love reading Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Numbers. I love reading first and second Kings. I love those books. That is the word of God. That's what God gave us and the source. And it come from God. That's why it's inspired. See, the uh, the Roman Catholics. Just like any tradition, it's not inspired. It's man-made doctrine. It's something that a man came up with. Now, what happened when men conjure up these things? They just, it, you know. It meant nothing, but yet they elevated it. It didn't say the Romans didn't say they didn't believe the scripture. They just happened to believe their tradition was they needed traditions to in many ways. It, it trumped the scripture. So they elevated their traditions. But you can't do that. The Bible said God's word is inspired. It's breathed out by God. Let's look at second Peter. Second Peter. One nineteen. God's word is, is so awesome in all his ways. Second Peter 1, 19, 20. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to. We need to pay attention to the word of God. We, need to, it, we do well by paying attention to the word of God. A lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star arises in your hearts. This is a verse I want to really get. He says, but know this. First of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. See, he's, what he's telling us is that the way the word of God derived how we get it, it wasn't a matter of somebody, some person's own interpretation. You know, and he's going to say that for no prophecy was ever made, but by made by an act. Of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. See, so that no one can claim that I have this new revelation. 
No one can claim that I was in this secret place and God gave me a word. You know, back where we come from, we used to hear that all the time. I, I tell you, if you come out of Pentecostal background, you heard all the time. God gave me a word. I was home. I was praying and God gave me a word. This is the scripture. Peter said there is no private interpretations, you know, of the scripture. And he's going to say, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. So all these guys that come around and say that they're apostles and God gave them new revelation and all those things. He said right here that no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So you had man speaking, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God. This is the only sure thing that we have. We can't go seeking any other thing outside of God's word. Again, if you do, you're looking in the wrong place. Let's look at Jeremiah 1 9. I want to share these scriptures with you because I believe that that's the way we grow, the way we learn. Jeremiah 1 9. Let's listen to what the Lord said to the prophet. The Lord, then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. <laughs> it was God that put his words in Jeremiah's mouth. That's who did it. And he went on and pointed him and made him a and he was a prophet. Basically, he had to go speak the word of God. But he said that the point I want to make is that, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, it was God's word that Jeremiah spoke. So as like it was with Isaiah or Ezekiel or Moses, all the prophets, he clearly states that I put my words in your mouth. See, that's what he did. And he gave Jeremiah the word to speak. And again, all scripture is inspired. Or was it all scripture? God breathed, breathed out by God. Deuteronomy 18, 18, 19. Deuteronomy 18. This is what the scriptures say. Deuteronomy 18 and 18, he says that uh, I will raise up a prophet from among from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whosoever would not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. So God was speaking uh, to Moses, but he was telling him what he was going to do. But again, the point is that it is God's word. It's not my word. It's not my interpretation, if you will, any of those things. It is God's word. And that's why the scripture clearly tells us that God's word is, is uh, the scripture is inspired of God breathed. So if we have God's word that come directly from him, then why are we looking to any other sources? Why was the Catholic Church so bound and determined to come up with their traditions? And that, that my what I come up with, <laughs> it was motivated by the devil. What more does Satan want than to keep you from knowing who God is? I tell people that say they're Christian, they say, well, but, you know, I like I read every uh, f- every few weeks or whatever. Dude, if you ain't reading the scripture, how do you know what God said? How do you know what he said if you're not reading the word? You know, how? How do you grow if you're not reading the scripture? This is our source. This is what God gave us, you know. I got a, uh, uh, I got some friends. I got and one dear friend in particular. He loved Pastor Mike. You was preaching this morning. You talked about uh, um, 
the social media and all those things. And I got, I was thought about a friend of mine. I said, I told him one day, I said, dude, and his brother-in-law said, dude, you addicted, man. You addicted to social media. You addicted. You, this is all the time, 24-7. I said, come on, man. You know, and he said, well, sometimes I can't sleep. I said, read the word of God. Get up and open up your Bible and read. You know, we need the word of God. This word that God gave us is, is, is our, is, it's our source for life. And yet we saw back in that day how that, uh, trust me, it's in this day as well. But something else, tradition was elevated higher than God's word. So when we elevate other things above the word of God, we are out of line with God. And there's no way we could be pleasing the word of pleasing to God. All scripture is inspired. Every verse from Genesis to Revelation, those verses that you don't want to read or want to look at because they difficult or whatever the case may be, or they boring or dry, so to speak, you know, but the Bible said that they're inspired. They come from God. I have I've heard people say that, well, I don't believe the whole Bible. And I said, well, what part is it that you believe? Is, is it like a smorgasbord? You just kind of pick and choose what you want. I don't think the scriptures say we can do that. Well, maybe some of it is inspired. Then if some of it is inspired, then the rest of it not inspired. It's, it's all or nothing. This is not one of those deals where you say I can take this portion of that portion. It is all or nothing. It's God's word. And it behooves us to do like is to to uh, be aware of that and understand that and live as if we understand that. And that's what the inspiration of the scripture is all about. And like I say, when it comes down to Catholicism and any other thing, those things are not inspired. They're just something that a man made up. If the scripture is inspired, then it's got to be without error. Then it's got to be inerrant, you know. And I tell you something, in this day that we live in, we hear it all the time. Oh, all those errors in the Bible. There's plenty of them. We see them all the time, you know. And we hear these hear claims all the time and so forth and so on. But if it's inspired, then it can't have any errors. Scripture in its original manuscript does not, does not err in all that the biblical authors assert. There are no errors in God's word. You know, if it's an error in the word of God, then we serve a God of error. How, how could we serve a God of error? Then if he's a God of error, then how can we know what's true? How do we know that Jesus died for our sins if there's errors in the word of God? It would be impossible. You and I, our faith would just be hinging on something that may or may not be true. That's why there's no errors in the Bible. There's no errors in God's word. If the Bible said that the word of God was God breathed, he breathed out. He gave it to Moses. He gave it to all the prophets. He gave it to the apostles to write and put in books that there's no errors there because it come from God. It comes from the infallible God. See. But every man who write a book or do any other thing that men are fallible. God's infallible. And we need to hold fast and understand that. And there's no errors in the scripture. Let's look at Psalms 19. Psalm 19, 7. Oh, I love the scripture. I love this. Psalms 19. Psalm 19, 7. Listen to what the, the psalmist say. Um, he going to make some emphatic points right here. We're talking about the word of God now. And it's inerrancy. The psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Hear what I'm saying. I hear what the scripture's saying. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. That's what the word of God is. Nothing else can restore 
That person is hurting. That person is beat down. That person is ready to commit suicide. That person has not given up on life. He has, he or she has one hope, and it's the gospel. The scriptures say again, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is the word of God. That's it. There's no errors in the scripture. And his word is perfect. Anything that's perfect can't have an error in it. It is perfect. And God gave it to us, you know, and he gave it to us that we can live by. We don't live by something that we're not sure of. We're sure about the gospel because it comes from God. Somebody in the Bible said that God created. Then that's what the scripture say. He created. I said something to a person one time. Then you show me some outside source to say that this is not the word of God. I said it's impossible. It won't happen. But the Bible assumes it says that God created. Then that's what it says. That's what it means. You know, there's no errors in the scripture. Because why? The psalmist says it's perfect. And it restores the soul. There's nothing else. The loved one that we have that's not saved, nothing else can restore their souls. They're contemplating suicide and all those things. Nothing else. It was it was the word of God that restored us. I remember when I before I got saved, my life was in trouble. I said early in the class we were talking about I forget Pastor Mark asked this question and I was young in Plant City. I thought for a time, for several weeks, that I couldn't be saved because I thought I had committed such heinous sins. I just literally could not be saved. But it, when I, as I read the scripture and I started seeing God really do love me, I started realizing that, you know, I repented of my sins. I am saved. Because why? Because God's word is perfect. It restores the soul. You're not going to get restoration anywhere else except in God's word. That's the only place. Psalms, 180, Psalms uh, 119 and 89. Psalms 119, 89. Listen to what the psalmist say. Psalms 119. Okay, let me get there myself. 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. The word of God is settled in heaven. You know that, what it's saying? God's word ain't changing. <laughs> it's forever settled. That is good for us. That way we're not dealing with some fallible man. We're dealing with an infallible God. His word do not change. It is forever, O Lord, forever your word is settled in heaven. It's there from generation to generation. It is there and we can call on the the name of the Lord and we can call on his word because we know that God's word is forever settled in heaven. Listen to what else the psalmist say. Uh, Same chapter, verse 160. It says that, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Man, praise the Lord. An unsaved person don't understand that. But I'm telling you, if you save you, you like you rejoicing in your heart because God's word is everlasting. The sum of his word is truth. That means that when I, you know, when I trusted other things, you know, and that those things that failed me. But when I understood the word of God, his word everlasting is truth. And he said that he would never leave me alone. God's word is truth. And no error in his word. 
I can hold fast to the word. I can cling to the word. Everything and everyone may fail me and may walk out of my life, but God's word is sure. You can trust the word of God. There may be some people in here tonight that's trusting in something else. But I'm telling you, you can trust in the inspiration and inerrancy of God's word. And just like a coin with two sides, you can't have one without the other. If you say that God's word is inspired, but it's not inerrant, then how can that be? It's an oxymoron. How can that happen? They go together. They have to go together. Why? Because it's all about God. That's why they go together. It's all about God. Let's look at another scripture. Let's look at Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 3. I'm reading these verses because I want you to see this is what God's word say about itself. Matthew 4, 3. It says, and the tempter came and said to him. We know what the tempter is. It's Satan talking to Jesus, the son of God. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. Command that these stones be made, become bread. Trying to put doubt into Jesus' mind. But he answered him. Listen how he answered him. But he answered and said, it is written. <laughs> Man should not live by bread alone. We're not sustained by bread, if you will. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's our sustenance. When they were in the, uh, come, out of the come out of Egypt. They was crying for food. God allowed manna to be rained down from heaven. It wasn't the manna within itself that sustained them. It was God that sustained them all those years in the wilderness. It was God's word. God's word is our substance. A person could be going through whatever it is. They could be broke, busted, disgusted. It don't matter what those things are in the sense of when you are a true believer in the gospel, you are sustained by the word of God. That's why it's so important for you to read the Bible, that we can know what God's word say, you know. Jesus said that we, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every word, every word that comes from God is inspired. It's without error, every single word. And that's what we hang our hat on. That's what we as believers, that's what we stand on. Now, we live in a period, we talk about the inspiration of Scripture and the heresy of Scripture. Now, you go, you think about like how, how it is today. When I was a kid, you know, you just... Not that we were saved. It's just that certain things you believe, they were just kind of taught in your neighborhood. Some about the Bible and so forth and so on. But now we have a generation that come and say, you know, when you start saying that God's word is inspired or inerrant, they start, they're starting to question God's word. When I uh, used to sell uh, my Kirby vacuum cleaners, you know, Pastor Mike sold Rainbow. And I sold <laughs> Kirby's, you know. I still got my 1983 Kirby at the house, Pastor Mike. Still using it, you know. <laughs> I had a supervisor that worked with us. I was probably around about 19 years old. Supervisor, he was like 26. And I didn't know he called himself an atheist, you know. I was saved, but I still had some fear, so to speak, of the Lord. And we started talking about the Bible. And then he started saying things like, well, how do you know that the Bible is really true? Just because some little lady told you it was true. And he started saying anything all the time. So I started thinking, well, maybe he's right. You know, and that, that's what Satan want to do, you know, get you to doubt what the scriptures say. And I start thinking like that. And that's the generation that we live in to where, you know, in some circles. I mean, wait a minute. The Bible's not infallible. How do you know it's the truth? 
How can you prove that it is? We hear all these kind of questions like that. And when the Bible tells itself that it is the truth, it's inerrant and therefore it's infallible. But we hear this all the time. But there's nothing new. Then we have people who say that, well, what is really truth? You know, how do you what you mean? What's truth? You know, in other words, they bring uncertainty in what's truth. Everybody got their own truth claim, so to speak, if you will. I, you know, somebody believes something over here. All, all, Oprah, all roads lead to heaven and all these things. This is some of the things that we're dealing with today. See, it was a church back in those uh, dark ages what, uh, that uh, was, you know, standing up against the truth. Now we have, you know, more like modernism, postmodernism, where people just so, you know, why do we have to really believe the Bible, you know? And, and start questioning everything that a lot of people, at least to some degree, had some confidence that it did come from God. But now we see that changing a lot. You know, that's why we see so much going on today in relationship to homosexuality and all these things, you know, because there's no real truth. There's no real value. But that ain't what God said. That's what man said. But then there is nothing new under the sun, you know. So let's look at, if you will, let's look at uh, Genesis 2. Genesis 2.15. We hear truth question all the time. Genesis 2.15. The writer says, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree, he told him he could eat any tree he wanted to, and he can eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. So God told him this is what it is, and this is what time it is, this is the way it's going to be. Fast forward a little bit. Third chapter three, one says that now the serpent more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you should not eat from any tree of the garden. But back to two fifteen, it says that uh, that then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden and cultivate cultivate and keep it. The Lord commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden, you may freely eat. So what does Satan typically do? You know, he tried to inspire doubt, so to speak, in the minds of the hearers that they don't believe what the words say. And unfortunately, in this case, it says that when he said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And, then it, and uh, the woman said that to the serpent from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you should not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not will, you surely will not die for God know that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the tree from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So we see the, the point I want to make with those scriptures is that how that uh God gave a command and how Satan come in to circumvent what God said by speaking lies, putting doubt, making her doubt that does God really love us like he said he do or what we really die. But what he failed to tell her was the consequences that come with doing that, you know, so it's nothing new under the sun. Nothing has changed. Every individual that say that is that really truth? The Bible is the truth. And there are all these uh, 
these here theologians, these liberal theologians, you know, that say that there's errors in the Bible. They are wrong. They are blind by the God of this world. Satan has deceived them to buy into a lie and they're going to die their sins. Why? Because they don't believe the gospel is the truth. They're uncertain. Many people are uncertain of what the truth is. Go to the Bible and it will give us the truth. You know, there are no other true claims outside of the scripture. But we live in a time when the Bible is under attack by people, by people all over the world in this country. You know, the scripture is under attack. And, and uh, uh, we have liberal Bibles, if you will. We have all these things to attack the truth of the gospel, you know. But you and I have to stand on the fact that God's word is infallible, that the Bible said God's word is, is inspired and is inerrant. There's no errors in the scripture. And we have to stand firm on what we believe. If the word of God, which it is inspired in its inerrant, another thing is that it's very clear. Clarity of scripture. God didn't give us something bogus that we can't understand. If you couldn't understand the scripture, maybe you have a claim that God just don't understand. He gave it where we can understand what his words say. You know, let me read this right here. Roman Catholic Church has argued through the centuries that scripture is unclear. Now, listen to this here. And because it's unclear, believers everywhere must depend upon the infallible interpretation of the church. Not interpretation of scripture, but this church itself interpreting scripture. They got it backwards. But that's what they said. So therefore, that's why they need, so to speak, the priests. I would assume that's what they're uh, referring to. But let me tell you uh, what clarity really is. Clarity doesn't necessarily mean something is easy. You could be I was thinking about when I played basketball in high school. In my junior year, first two weeks, the coach told us, first of all, we ain't touch no basketball. We're going to run. We're going to run, Bob. We're going to run. We're going to run. That's what we're going to do. We're going to run suicides. We're going to run up and down the track. We're going to run around the football field. That's what we're going to do. And he was clear. He gave clear instructions of what we're going to do. It was hard. A lot of guys quit, you know, but it was very clear. So some things in the Bible may not necessarily be easy, but God, but they are, but he clarified and gave us understanding of the scripture. Don't mean it's always easy, but it's very clear. In other words, it's understandable. And I want to, we'll prove that again by the scripture. Let's look at this. Uh, and I want to go to a couple more things and I'm going to close. But let's go back to the Old Testament again. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. 6 through 8. God, I want to try to get these scriptures in here. Deuteronomy 6. It says that uh, these words which I am commanding you today refer, you, uh, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, to, to your sons, and you should talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk uh, by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up is what you should do with God's word. You should bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as funnels on your forehead. When I read that scripture, I question them. Why would God give something hard to understand? You know, if he wants to read it all the time, it's got to be something understandable. You know, you can't be like Catholicism, writing something in Latin and nobody don't understand what's going on. Then when they get Bibles, they start reading the scripture. God don't make it hard to understand. He make it where we can understand because it's clear. He gave us clarity in his word. Stay in Deuteronomy. Let's go to the 30th chapter. 30 and 11. I love this, these verses right here. He says that uh, for this commandment, which I command you today is not too difficult for you. 
See, this commandment is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and to make us hear it. That we may observe it, nor is it beyond the sea that you shall say who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make it make us hear it. That we may observe it, but the word is very near you in your mouth, in your heart, that you may observe it. God would never give a command, or give a, a word, a scripture, a law that we cannot understand. He made his scripture clear. No one can come to God and say, I didn't understand. He gave us his word. And it's understandable. We can pick up our Bible and, and we can understand what the scriptures say. God illuminates our minds and our heart. We can understand God's word. There's no reason for believers not to search the scripture daily. We need the word of God. God's word is very clear, very understandable. Uh, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching the gospel, if you read through the, uh, through the sec, uh, Acts 2 and read all through that, you know, as you get all the way to the end, they asked Peter, all those Jews from all the other nations. I don't want to read those scriptures because it takes too long. But it, they, and, and I asked Peter in the end, what must we do? And he said, repent, every one of you. So that means that they had to understand what Peter had just preached about. When at the end of his message, they want to know what they needed to do because God gave them clarity through the scripture. They heard the word of God and the Holy Spirit convicted them and they wanted to know what to do. And Peter said, repent and be saved. Repent of your sins. How can one repent if he don't know what the scriptures say? God made it clear to them what he was saying. There were some who mocked and laughed. They walked away. But some say, they asked Peter, what, what must we do? He said, repent. Because God gives clarity in the scripture. I'm going to end with this, the sufficiency of scripture. If all these things are true, then God's word is sufficient. This is Matthew Barrett's definition. All things necessary, sufficient scripture, all things necessary for salvation, for living a Christian life in obedience to God, for his glory are given to us in the scripture. In other words, we don't have to go looking nowhere else but the scripture. No matter what your challenge is, no matter what you're going through, you do not have to look for another source. We look to God's word. It's what we do because his word is sufficient. His word is sufficient. I'm going to read this one more. I want to read, read the Westminster Confession of Faith. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequences may be decided from scripture under which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation or by or of, I mean, new revelation of the spirit or tradition of men. OK, let's look at a, a couple of verses and then we're going to close just a moment. Deuteronomy 4, 2. Deuteronomy 4.2 says that uh, says that you shall not add to the word which I am commanding you nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I am commanding you we don't add nothing to God's word stay Deuteronomy and go to 12 chapter 12.32 12.32 says Whatever I command you, you should be careful to do. You should not add to it 
or take away from it. And that theme actually runs through the Bible. Proverbs 35 and 6. I won't read it. It talks about similar to the same thing. Revelation 22, 18, 19. It said the same thing. You and I don't have the authority to add anything to the word of God or take anything away from the word of God. Why? Because God's word is sufficient. We don't need anything else. That's why it's so important to understand God's word alone, scripture alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone. And that we can grab that and don't let nothing, whatever in this life, you know, take that away from us. If we stand firm in the gospel. We'll hold fast to God's word. And I'm going to end with this right here. Second Corinthians four, three and five. Listen to what Paul says. Second Corinthians four, three and five. Second Corinthians four, three says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus sake. So if someone, a liberal theologian, whoever it may be. If they are blind, they are blind because they are blinded by the God of this world. The scripture declared that Satan is the God of this world. And many men are blind. They can't see. That's why they don't understand the scripture, because of blindness on their hearts. But when a man's heart cry out to God, God will illuminate. That's like those guys on the day of Pentecost. What did they say, Pastor Mark? They want to know, what must we do? That is a person saying that my life is shipwrecked, is jacked up, and I need something different. And it's God's word. Repent. And believe the gospel. That's what the scripture is all about. And it's God's word and God's word alone. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you that I don't have to run over to uh, through, uh, across the ocean. I don't have to look up to heaven in the skies. I don't have to run anywhere. The word is right here. You've given us your word, Father. And we thank you for it, God. Oh, Father, I pray, Father, that you will work in all our hearts that we love you with everything that's within us, God. And anything that be in our lives that's not like you, Father, that this Holy Spirit would convict us of our sin and to let us realize, God, that, and I've heard believers, I've heard actual believers say, so-called believers say they don't believe all of the word of God. Then they don't believe in inspiration then. They don't believe in inerrancy then. Oh, Father, help us to stand fast on your word because your word is truth. Amen.